to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 228. Welcome back. So um, I am excited tonight. We are hitting the road. We have officially left the Valley of Rivendell. We were looking back over our shoulders down into the Valley of Rivendell last time, and we resume journeying this time for the first time with the entire company. Um, you know, so it's interesting to just kind of stop for a moment and think about the travels that we've had so far, right? Um, we've been doing a fair bit of traveling uh, in this book so far, but we began with what was meant to be a sort of lark across the Shire, right? With uh, Frodo and Sam and Pippin just getting into shape and, 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 and well, not quite a lark, I suppose, but, um, uh, but still what was thought to be just, uh, you know, um, a hobbit walking party, basically, right? Um, and that got serious as the Black Riders came in, to everyone's surprise, including Tolkien's. And then, um, you know, we had the journey from uh, Buckland on towards Rivendell, or at least on towards Bree, which was known to be a desperate journey from the beginning, right? So it had a different sort of sense about it, but... Um, it was all tangled up with the old forest and Tom Bombadil, right? They didn't get, we didn't get much just travel. We got their day in the forest, right? Um, but apart from their day in the forest and their half day from Tom Bombadil's house to the Barrow Downs, right? Um, we didn't get a whole lot of travel. Then they were with Aragorn, right? It was the hobbits uh, and uh, under Aragorn's care. Um, and then finally, of course, with the shadow of you know, from from uh, Weathertop with the shadow of, of Frodo's wound, right? And uh, and the pursuing riders and then Gorfindel catching up with them. So, you know, it's kind of an interesting progression of their of their journeying. There's been this pall over it. Now it's a new journey um, in a sense under more controlled circumstances, like always before that, you know, from when they first encountered the black rider on the road, there was this like desperate improvisation, right. Around everything in their journey, right. Um, as danger was coming on them unawares uh, and they were just trying to figure out a way to escape and survive. And this is quite different, right. They are setting out on certainly uh, on a very dangerous journey and under grim circumstances. Um, but, knowing what they're doing and much better equipped, right? Gandalf is with them from the beginning. Aragorn is with them from the beginning, right? Plus they have all of this extra help, right? Which they know very little about. Gimli and Legolas, right? There's an elf and a dwarf. Who knows what they're like or what they're going to be able to do. And then this Boromir guy who is pretty impressive, right? All other things considered. Um, uh, so anyway, it's, uh, and needless to say, they're also starting with Bill the Pony. Uh, and so therefore we can all assume that they're in better 
hands uh, than they were before. Exactly, Stephen says the tutorial stage is over. It is almost like that, isn't it? Uh, it's time to it's it's time to start the 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 real game, right? The 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 proper game. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's kind of a fun metaphor, actually. Um, Okay, cool. Anyway, uh, before we start, one quick announcement. I just wanted to, I had mentioned people about uh, Mythmoot coming up, and I wanted to make sure to clarify one piece of news I've gotten in this past week. I had mentioned uh, that due to our new uh, temporary venue this year, well, I mean, it's permanent for this year, but uh, temporary uh, for future reference, um, uh, our new location at the Dulles Airport Marriott, um, we are... Uh, being compelled to close registration for physical attendance earlier than we usually do. Um, so if you want to attend physically, um, we're going to have to close registration for that on June 9th. Um, so that's two weeks before the beginning of the conference. Um, so that's a yeah, Thursday, I believe it's, it's, it's two weeks, uh, before the conference starts. Um, so please keep that in mind. Um, if you're thinking about coming person, you know, coming uh, physically, and I hope that you do, um, then uh, you need to make sure to get your registration in before June 9th so that we can give final numbers uh, to the venue by that time. Now, we also are going to have, uh, this is going to be a fully hybrid experience, so there will be uh, digital attendance uh, possible, and we are going to uh, try to facilitate full hybrid participation in the moot in every way that we can. We've had a lot of practice at this over the course of this year uh, with our regional moots, and that has been that's gone really well and been very successful. Looking forward to implementing that again um, here for Myth Moot this year. Um, and um, last year for Myth, Myth Moot was our first try uh, at a fully hybrid moot, which went pretty well. Though there are definitely things that we could improve uh, and uh, have been working to improve in the year past. So looking forward to doing it uh, again for real this year. So um, uh, so d digital attendance, we will keep the registration open all the way through. So there's still an opportunity, even if you miss the deadline, there's still an opportunity to attend digitally. But um, we do want to make sure that people get now folks who have registered um, we also have sent out the lodging link. Uh, so if you've registered and you've not gotten the lodging link, um, you should uh, check in about that because you should have gotten that. Um, and we want to make sure that doesn't get mislaid or uh, filtered to spam or something like that um, uh, because the lodging is fairly limited, I think. So we want to make sure that people get a chance to, uh, to, to click through to that. Um, so that has happened. So the schedule's out. The... Um, the lodging link is available. The registration deadline is posted. We are, uh, we are in the home stretch and ready to go for Mythmoot. I am so excited uh, for uh, for heading down to Mythmoot again this year. Um, um, anyway, uh, oh, so I. De La Mancha, the reason why we changed the venue this year uh, is kind of a wonderful reason. Our normal venue um, has been given over to uh, several thousand um, uh, refugees, child refugees uh, from Afghanistan. Um, so we're really glad uh, that these refugees can have a place to stay. And it's an awesome place to stay. I mean, uh, that our normal venue is a great place for refugees. Uh, so uh, they can house many, many of them there. It's a huge cavernous place, which is never full. Um, and uh, uh, anyway, great place to house and feed refugees for a time. So uh, really delighted that they're able to do that. So that's why we're, we're 
very cheerful about finding a new place and uh, the National Conference Center, which is our normal venue. The people there have been very helpful in helping us find a new place. So um, anyway, it's not going to be quite the same. We're probably not going to get lost quite as often in the new place. But um, yeah, Stephen says, I can't think of many better places to house so many people comfortably in one place. Yeah, it's uh, people who have been there will understand. It's really a perfect spot uh, for that. But um uh, yeah. Anyway, um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be good stuff. Um, all right, let us get back into the text. So we're on the road at the ford of Bruinen. They left the road and turning southwards went on by narrow paths among the folded lands. Their purpose was to hold this course west of the mountains for many miles and days. The country was much rougher and more barren than in the green vale of the great river in Wilderland on the other side of the range, and their going would be slow, but they hoped in this way to escape the notice of unfriendly eyes. The spies of Sauron had hitherto seldom been seen in this empty country, and the paths were little known except to the people of Rivendell. Gandalf walked in front, and with him went Aragorn, who knew this land even in the dark. The others were in file behind, and Legolas, whose eyes were keen, was the rear guard. Okay. Um, now, one quick question. Which side of the river do you think they, they're on? Did they cross, do you think? It sounds like they didn't cross the ford. Like they come to the ford. And at the ford, they left the road. Um, which would seem to make sense. Yeah, east of the river is what it sounds like to me. Right? If we look... Just going ahead for a second. It's one of the reasons I've kept the map, right? So they've left Rivendell and they've come to where the ford is here on the Bruin Inn and have crossed and are going down the eastern bank of the river, I think, right? Um, yeah, you could leave the road on either side of the river, uh, conceivably. Um, but of course, if you cross the river first and then go south, you'd then have to cross it again, wouldn't you? Right? So... I assume um, that they're on the eastern uh, that they that they're on the eastern side since that's where they're headed down here into Eregion down here. So this patch of blank spot on the map, right between the Bruinen and the mountains, um, are the empty lands I think that are being described here. went on by narrow paths among the folded lands. I really like that metaphor. It makes me picture like, um, cause I don't think it's, it's not folded like, you know, like, like paper or something. Right. I'm imagining folds like folds of cloth. Right. When, um, uh, you know, when a piece of cloth is kind of, Bunched up. Yeah, go, go, Eddie. Exactly that. Exactly that. Definitely foothills. Um, and we know that Rivendell is um, in the beginning of the mountains, right? Um, you know, getting up towards the mountains, uh, though not all the way up into the mountains yet. Um, there are paths. You know, something makes paths, makes me think of meeting right before we met Tom Bombadil, right? Um, we're told that... Where was the... Um, 
reference to the elves. Um, oh yeah, the people of Rivendell. And the paths were little known except to the people of Rivendell. I don't think there are necessarily footpaths, right? Um, but yeah, at Fort Dauntless, I was remembering that too. Um, the land is described as being crossed with deep ravines uh, in the Hobbits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in 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 the Hobbit singular, you know, the book, not the actual characters. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think there are actual paths made, like they come here all the time, you know, and leave paths, as we did see with Tom Bombadil, right? And his path down to the river, um, where he goes down to, um, uh, to find water lilies for Goldberry, right? Um, there clearly is a path that he takes all the time. So when they find the path, they're finding Tom Bombadil's path, right? Something was there, uh, to, uh, make that path. Um, it's possible they could be game trails. It's possible. Um, we're told that the paths are known to the people of Rivendell, right? They're little known to anybody else, but they're known to the people of Rivendell, right? So there is some travel uh, down here. Presumably, um, people who go... This, we're told this is a seldom-traveled road um, you know, or path, and yet one presumes that traffic between Rivendell and Lothlorien, which, you know, I mean, it's not like it's... There's like daily commuters or something, but um, presumably they mu there must be messages that are sent between them, you know, uh, at times. We know, you know, Arwen went down there to visit and came back, right? So, um, you know, when they head south, um, and any of the people of Rivendell head south, presumably, uh, this would be this would be one of the places that they would one of the ways that they would come. Their purpose was to hold this course west of the mountains for many miles and days. Um, one interesting thing is that we will stop seeing sentences like that as we move on, right? Um, think about the problems that Frodo is going to have. Think ahead, right? Remember ahead to the problems that Frodo is going to have in the Emin Mio, right? Um, they don't have any idea, right? There is no, like, the purpose is gone. When, once they get to Parthgalan, they don't know what the purpose is anymore, right? What the plan, as far as the travel plan is anymore, right? But here, there's a clear plan, and the sentence seems to imply um, that it's known to everybody, right? Um, their purpose. Like, this is not just like Gandalf has some purpose and they're following him, right? Um, this is the collective purpose, right? of the company. Um, like, they've talked about this, and the hobbits narrating this are all in the know, right, about exactly where they're going and why they're going this way in this very first stage. As I say, we will soon see this kind of simplicity and confidence altering, right? But they start off with a pretty good plan. I agree, Kurtzimus, their plan, their plan is simply to walk into Mordor. That's pretty much the idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, for many miles and days, they're going to hold this course west of the mountains for many miles and days. So the main thing that it's specifying, um, I mean, it's telling us some details about the landscape, right? Um, but it's mostly reinforcing what we've already been told as far as what the overall general plan is. They're not going to cross and like which path. Remember that when we were looking at the maps before and talking about the journeys of the, sp the reports of the spies and things like that, the question was always, 
where are they going to cross the mountains, right? That's the, the, the kind of deciding factor um, in the journey, which, of course, we need to keep in mind because it's still going to come to crisis right here pretty soon. It's still going to be the big question. Where and how do you cross the mountains? But we know what the purpose is. Hold the course west of the mountains for many miles and days. Go south along, and then eventually they're going to be able to cross over at the Redhorn Pass, because I'm sure that will go well. The country was much rougher and more barren than in the green vale of the Great River in Wilderland on the other side of the range, and their going would be slow. Right? So there are downsides, right? Um, Hitting one of the earlier passes... Right. Because we know that there are earlier passes. Right. There are passes. There's the high pass right next to Rivendell. There's this pass down here by the Gladden River. And then there's the one down here by uh, the the Redhorn Pass. Right. Which is the one that they're aiming for. So as we looked at before, there are these three options and it might seem more efficient to cross over sooner because it's just easier traveling down here. The, the, The Anduin Vale is quite lovely. Right. Nice, lush, open plain that they could make good time across, whereas this is really rugged terrain over here. Right. Um, Notice how this also seems to kind of shadow the larger factors of the decisions that they've made. That is to say, they don't seem to be taking the wise road. Right. Um. You know, people who know these lands would know much better, you know, the much better route is to cross the mountain sooner and then go down the green vale of the Great River in Wilderland, right? Nice country there. Um, you know, occasional eagle in the sky, you know, an orc raid every now and again, but, you know, no big deal. Um, yeah, well, no, they wouldn't have to go past Mirkwood. They'd have to, they could They could stay well shy of Mirkwood. I mean, remember in The Hobbit, um it's not like uh, they're not in any danger from Mirkwood until they actually go into it, right? I mean, even the day that they're journeying uh, from Bjorn's house to to Mirkwood is still quite lovely, right? Um, until they enter the boundary of the woods. Um, but um, anyway, yes, we know better now. There's more to be considered than just the terrain. Uh, more important than making good time or finding the easier country is the secrecy of their journey, right? Just ask Boromir about how important it is to maintain the secrecy of their journey um, all along the way. Um, and that, of course, is the advantage that it finds. But again, the, 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 the parallel that I'm making here is simply, once again, and for a different reason, the way which does not seem like the easy, the way that seems like the harder path is the better path, right? That's in these small things, as in the bigger things, right? Smaller hands do them because they must, right? The, um, uh, this uh, journey may be entrusted to the weak as well as to the strong. All that kind of reasoning that we saw at the end of the council still applies here, not in exactly the same way, but it still applies here um, in this other kind of parallel sense. But they hoped in this way to escape the notice of unfriendly eyes, right? That's, that's, that's the point. It's the larger goal. The spies of Sauron had hitherto seldom been seen in this empty country. I love, by the way, the continuing vagueness, right? 
of the question of the spies of Sauron. Though, oh, hang on a second. Bjorn Sonner, you're right. Um, it is worth noting that they're not aware of any serious time constraints on this journey at this point. Um, there's no date at which Sauron wins if the ring isn't destroyed yet. Yes, yes, exactly. There's, um, uh, they are not, they're not against a, they're not up against time pressure at this point, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, nor, in a sense, they're never going to be. I mean, they are, but they're the ones who are going to manufacture it, right? I mean, there will come a time when Frodo and Sam feel the imperative urge, now or it will be too late, right? Um, but what it will be too late for is saving their friends who have deliberately goaded Sauron into attacking them twice, right, in order to distract him from their journey. So there's never actually going to be, in a sense, if you see what I mean, an intrinsic, um, an intrinsic deadline. Um, uh, well, or an extrinsic deadline? Anyway, a deadline outside of their own journey, outside of what they set. Um, yeah, I don't know, Joe, uh, are they racing against, uh, sorry, John Doe, I mean, J. Doe, um, uh, are they sort of racing against the clock as far as the return of the Nazgul go? No, not necessarily, because they don't even know that the Nazgul, when they do return from Mordor, are going to come back out this way, right? Or, I mean, back out towards Rivendell, or if they do, would they come in this direction, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's true. That's true, Trifle. They do upend the villains act, heroes react trope in a way that very few works do. It's, it's, it's true. Um, Sauron is the one reacting um, to what the good guys do all the way through here. Um, yeah, I hadn't really thought of it uh, exactly in those terms. Um well, beyond dishonor, it might be true that there's a date after which Sauron is so powerful that the quest becomes effectively impossible. But I don't know. I mean, I... Now, again, ignoring the... And I'm not trying to say that Aragorn's drawing of Sauron's attention and goading him to put forth his strength too soon and that kind of thing um, is, um, you know, like, useless or bad idea or anything like that. It was, it was all, it's, it's all, God, I'm, I'm in support, but, um, but again, without that, what would have happened? You know, had assuming for a second, and again, it's, you know, a sort of counter to fact uh, uh, presumption, right? But, um, let's imagine that the ring of the, the, the journey of Frodo could be, have been successful without what Aragorn did, right? Um, you know, everybody just leaves well enough alone, right? And Frodo and Sam somehow by themselves make it to Mount Doom and throw the ring in. Had they thrown the ring in two weeks later? Would it have been too late? Two months later? Two years later? Would it have been too late? Sauron is gaining power. He's gaining military power. And soon, like, yes, there will come the time when, um, you know, I, Aragorn is hoping to make him attack before he's fully prepared. Right. 
which means presumably when he, the, a time would come when he would have been fully prepared, right? Uh, at which point he would have attacked and it would have been much worse, right? Um, so, yeah, in that sense, yes. But I, but had the ring been destroyed, would it have been too late? It, it still would have, it would, it would have had the same effect on Sauron, right? Um, and his armies, especially, I mean, at least his orcs, would still have fallen apart, right? Um, now, it would have been awkward if Sauron had only been destroyed after, you know, Gondor was already conquered, right? I mean, that would have been uh, a bit of a downer, right? Uh, quite a bit of collateral damage on that uh, on that victory. Um, but um, again, not saying it doesn't mean anything, but I don't really think that, I, I, I think it's still true that there isn't really a deadline um, in that way. Um, but um, it is true the longer you wait, the ring gains more power over you and your company. Sure. Yeah. Agreed. Um, although, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not trying to argue that like what Aragorn did was a bad idea or that then, you know, um, getting to Mount Doom when they did was, you know, poorly timed. All I'm saying is there isn't a deadline. Um, there isn't a deadline that is set by sound. They're, they're not against the clock in this way. I think, I still think that that's a really good, um, that that's a really good observation. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think that that's a really good observation. Yeah. Things are going to work out in a particular way. Right. But see, that seems to me all fairly well choreographed and not entirely by, you know, the choices of the characters themselves. Um, so the timing, I think, is the overall timing is outside of the hands of any member of the company at the end of the day. Um, but again, it is true. They are not facing. The story does not gain, does not take any drama, right, from a ticking clock situation. There is no, um, there is not that kind of, a, that's a dramatic element that Tolkien has not availed himself of here. Um, at this point, they're not uh, headed that way. And again, I you guys are talking about Frodo giving up the ring. Um, if Frodo had stayed in the Shire with the ring, you know, if he'd just gone into hiding, it wouldn't have corrupted him in the same way that it did. Like, part of the reason it overtook him so much is because he was going to Mordor with it, right? Um, but again, that's I, you're missing the point. Do you see the point I'm making? The point I'm making, just picking up on Bjarna's Honor's point, is just the dramatic tension of the quest owes nothing to deadlines. Um, nobody's looking at their figurative watches all the way through. It's not, there's no you know, tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock um, that they're racing against um, or it will be too late. Um, and I think that that's interesting and I think that that's important. Um, it's an important thing to keep in mind. Um, it would be a very different kind of story 
if that were the case. Um, Hollywood loves that kind of thing, don't they? Right? Um, movies so frequently. Um, insert, notice Peter Jackson's adaptations insert that, even, right? Um, in a sense, because of the weird and not fully explained way, vague way in which it, um, um, in which it uh, tie the films tie Arwen's health to the ring, right? Um, that like if the ring is not destroyed in time, Arwen's going to die or something, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not pretending to understand that. Theme. It works vaguely in the films. I, I'm not complaining as far as the films themselves are concerned. Um, the, I, I'm just, I say, please don't ask me to explain exactly how that works because I don't know. Um, I've never understood it. But, but notice one of the effects of it, um, one of the effects of that choice is to introduce exactly that there's this pressure, right? Um, Elrond explicitly applies this pressure to Aragorn in the movie, right? Um, if you don't hurry and resolve this plot, right? Um, if Sauron is not defeated soon, then Arwen's going to die anyway, right? Um, so, like, there's extra, there's extra time pressure on you here. Anyway, my point is, like, that kind of... Um, in the uh, in the dramatic form of films, this kind of time pressure is uh, uh, I won't say an essential element, but it's a really common element, right? Um, so I just think it's worth observing that we don't have there's lots of pressure on Frodo, right? Um, but he doesn't have that pressure here. Um, they do, in fact have as much time as they need and it's their actions. As Praise was saying before, um, it's not Sauron acting and they're reacting against him. They are the ones taking action and Sauron is going to be the one who is reacting to them. And it's that is I think a very important paradigm to, um, uh, to keep in mind. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I agree, Matt. And that's, that's another good, um, explanation. Matt says the ticking clock is less, is less uh, about time passing than Frodo's will being sapped as such. It's character driven rather than driven by a time bomb style countdown. Yes, exactly. There's no external countdown. Um, there is the drama of Frodo's character, right? I mean, obviously that's going to be really important. Can he make it? I mean, is he going to be able to hold out? Um, uh, but again, that I don't think that's a question of like, would it have been a little bit easier if they'd left a day sooner? No. Right. Would it have been even harder? Would he have not have made it had they set out a day later? No. Right. It's not about an external clock. Um, uh, it's about, you know, his struggle in that. So, yeah, that's a major factor, but it's not it's not at all this um, uh, this this same thing. Um yeah, yeah. Um, okay, anyway. And that's a sideline anyway. Okay. Um, but what I was saying, before I interrupted myself to comment on this point, the spies of Sauron had hitherto seldom been seen in this empty country. What I was saying was, I find it rather delightful how 
elusive the text is still being about this. Who, what, are the spies of Sauron? Gandalf mentioned the spies of Sauron way back in chapter two of the first book, right? Um, uh, you know, what primed us to worry when we heard the noise outside the parlor window of Bag End, right? Right before Sam's infenestration. Um, Sam's been, or Frodo's been worried about the spies of Sauron, and he has no idea what they're looking like. Remember, this is why when the conspiracy is unmasked, he's wondering, like, who is the, you know, the, 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 the dreaded shadowy gatherer of information, right? Um, uh, it's not really clear. Because, and it's not really clear because the spies apparently can be many different things. Beasts, birds, people, right? Um, and yet, it can't be absolutely anything, right? If any living creature could theoretically be a spy of Sauron, then how could that sentence even make sense? The spies of Sauron had hitherto seldom been seen in this empty country. Like, how did you know? Do they have floaty names above their heads? Right? I mean, like, so clearly that means that not just any, even among birds and beasts, not just any bird or beast, right? I mean, if, uh, you know, you see 10 robins flying around during the day uh, and any one of them might be, unbeknownst to you, a spy of Sauron, you would hardly be like, oh yeah, the spies of Sauron are seldom seen in this country, right? Well, how would you know? <laughs> the place might be lousy with them, for all you know. Um, so I don't think that that's... Um, uh, I don't think that that's how it works, right? If... They are so. On the one hand, the spies are not identified, right? It's left quite ominously vague. But on the other hand, apparently they're sufficiently identifiable that you'd know them when you see them, or at least the people of Rivendell, presumably, apparently, will would know them when they see them, right? Um, which leads me to suspect that although we know that beasts and birds can be the spies of Sauron. Uh, probably it's only specific species of beasts and birds that are the spies of Sauron. That's a guess on my part. But how else would that sentence make sense um, if that were not true? Um, uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't... I don't know, but again, it's it's um, it seems that someone at least can spot the spies of Sauron when they're seen, or else the confidence in this statement is a completely vain confidence, and that I don't, I wouldn't think so. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, Connor, it's possible a fox, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe they would not be native to the area, Fort Dauntless. That seems possible. Um, you know, if you see like a, a, a strange invasive species, because it does beg the question, which we've 
come up against before, right, in our Gollum discussions. How did Gollum get his message? Uh, how did Gollum and the orcs communicate? Um, uh, how does how does Sauron recruit among birds and beasts? And, and how does that work? Um, so you've got a bird who's a legitimate spy, right? This bird is a spy of Sauron. Um, is it, uh, is it recruited or is it enslaved? Do you think? And if it's spying for Sauron, how does it report? Does it have to fly back and tell him or somebody else who can tell him? Um, and if so, how exactly? Um, uh, these might sound like frivolous questions, but of course I quite, I quite mean it, right? Um, we're told that these things happen. We're not told anything about how they happen. Um, now I agree. Good. Core kick. That, that's a great suggestion. We are told that he raises horses, the black horses, right? He breeds black horses. We're told that the horses are raised to be like not freaked out by the Nazgul. Right, so they're um, accustomed to the presence of the Nazgul from birth. Right, so we do have animals being bred and trained in Mordor in order to serve Sauron. That's one of the. They are stolen initially, but again, Belongsman, I'm assuming they're bred um, uh, from the black horses that are stolen. Right, um, uh, Gandalf does talk about them being raised. Um, raised in in uh, in Mordor, um, yeah. So I I I gotta think that that would be one option, right? That there are in fact beasts being raised, um, being raised in Mordor. In order to be, in order for them to be slaves, that seems to me to be, and like that he would enslave them, that he would in some sense dominate them, right? Um, is certainly, I mean, again, I don't think he's um, tempting them, right? I don't think he's recruiting. I don't think he puts out like recruitment posters among the birds, right? Um, you know, come spy for Sauron, right? Um, lots of opportunities for advancement, uh, reasonable hours, right? Good dental plan. Um, I don't think he's doing that, right? Um, that doesn't seem to be his MO. Um, no, I don't think Radagast is a double agent, Mr. Vega. I doubt it. Um, but um, uh, but I could. I mean, it... it on the one, it it might seem strange. On the one hand, I don't know if it strikes you as strange the idea that Sauron would have, you know, like lots and lots of like hutches where uh, evil crows or whatever are being bred, right, uh, in order to be his to be his spies. Um, but I don't think that that's unlikely at all. Um, he would have uses, right? He seeks to make use of things for his own ends. And he is not only willing, but quite happy to enslave creatures 
in order to serve his ends uh, in different ways. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. I um, I don't think that he. Um, I know Amethorn dental benefits wouldn't exactly appeal to the birds. I understand. Um, it makes you wonder what they do have, like beak benefits. Is that a thing? I don't even know. Um, but uh, right, Nancy, I agree. Cats probably work for him willingly. Yeah, no, that's almost certainly true. Um, he doesn't even have to recruit cats, <laughs> right? I mean, look, this is Tolkien's world, right? So we all know cats are uh, uh, suspect. Um, but um, anyway, yeah. So um, <laughs> this is, I think, very. The other thing is that this would, um, this kind of thing, that is the breeding and enslavement of particular creatures, not only fits Sauron's M.O., but also would explain a sentence like this. The spies of Sauron had hitherto seldom been seen in this empty, con- in this empty country. Well, if you know what kinds of birds Sauron breeds, then you can know what to look out for. Right. You don't have to go uh, checking. I saw some of the jokes you guys were making easy uh, earlier. Uh, clever jokes about uh, uh, feeling uh, looking foul and feeling fair. Right. Or looking fair and feeling foul, um, uh, which opens itself to delightful jokes when you're talking about the birds. Um, yeah, I don't think that like they have to go like Glorfindel has to like, you know, test the hearts of every, you know, robin that flies by. Um, I wouldn't think so. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I do think um, vultures, Kurtzimus, yeah, I do think vul- we, we know that um, uh, crows are unpleasant, right? Uh, from The Hobbit, we know this. Um, in contrast to the ravens, right? Um, vultures are definitely... Um, a uh, a thing, right? Uh, his the connection between Sauron and vultures. There's no reference to it in the published text, but it comes up on multiple occasions in the drafts of the Lord of the Rings. In fact, the fell beast that the um, Witch King was riding on was originally a giant vulture. I changes it, uh, but that was uh, that was that was there. Um, uh, I agree, I agree, Valori. Um, geese are pretty mean. Um, uh, so I, I could easily see geese being, uh, uh, won over to the service, uh, of evil, um, uh, and, uh, uh, a terrible, uh, force for evil they would be in the wrong hands. Um, but, um, Darren Gray suggests they might be too chaotic for Sauron, which is entirely possible. Um, but yeah, so I, I doubt it. I doubt it. Though there are the black swans, mad violinist. Yeah. Yeah, there are. There are. Um, but that brings up um, that brings up another question, right? And that is, we do have another example in Mirkwood, right, of animals coming under corruption. Um, the animals of Mirkwood, the black, all the black, and uh, the as the shadow moves through Mirkwood and corrupts the greenwood into the Mirkwood. Um, it does seem to infect the creatures there. Do we, you know, are the black squirrels of Mirkwood evil? I don't, we don't have any reason to think that the black squirrels of Mirkwood are actively the allies of Sauron, right? Running his messages or or uh, spying for him. Um, 
but they've come under the influence of the shadow, right? So that kind of thing does happen. They taste nasty, we know. Um, uh, so again, they've been they've been affected, right? They've been they've been corrupted, um, but um, uh, but I don't think we have any reason to necessarily believe them to have been recruited in this way. What maybe they could be, right? Um, maybe that's a thing he does. Maybe in Mirkwood, maybe in Dol Guldur, um, you know, he has like enslaved and raised, um, you know, squirrel slaves. I can't rule it out, right? Can't rule it out. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there we go. Silk Westgate, were you searching for the word vultures in the Lord of the Rings? The Nazgul are compared to vultures as they circle above the city, right? That's a, that's a simile in the sentence you just quoted there. Um, uh, an unsurprising simile, right? Again, you can see the link uh, still existing in Tolkien's mind between the Nazgul and vultures, even though he's only using it as a simile there. Um, but, uh, okay. Anyway, fascinating stuff. But I, th I think there's got to be. They, they have to be recognizable. And again, more than that, I can't see him simply... I mean, what's he going to do from afar, right? He's going to sit in Mordor and be like, I'm going to, uh, what, like enchant the, you know cardinals and like wrens uh right of air of like eregion uh to somehow spy for him and telepathically report to him like it doesn't work that way like that mechanism doesn't make any sense within the context of what we know about how sauron operates and what sauron can do right um so um so yeah i i think that he the spy if there are spies of Sauron they have to have been sent out by him um and i think that that means if there are beast and bird spies they have to have been raised by him um for what it's worth i think um i think that one of the reasons we're getting this vague reference to the spies of Sauron is that i think it's a setup we're going to see some spies of Sauron sooner rather than later, right? Um, and they're kind of freaky. So I think that's one of the reasons why we're still being vague so far. Um, oh, Fort Thomas, totally. Vampire bats, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that there was a cloud of vampires with the goblins in, you know, coming to the Battle of Five Armies, right? The vampire bats didn't count as an army, right? They didn't get counted. Um, many armies didn't get counted that day, right? This is the danger of uh, having a big old battle like that uh, with an enumerated uh, list of armies, right? Uh, people get left off the list. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, yeah. Um, it certainly suggests that there is a uh, vampire bat breeding program, right? And that they are... Um, allied in some sense uh, with the orcs of the Misty Mountains. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I see my reference to vampire bats not being counted has led to Sesame Street memes, has it? No, that makes perfect sense. I totally, I'm totally tracking with you here. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Um, and the paths were little known except to the people of Rivendell. Okay. All right. I think we, um, I think we, I think we got there. Gandalf walked in front and with him went Aragorn, who knew this land even in the dark. Um, notice there, so we have the pair of people who are leading. We only get reference to three people here, right? The hobbits don't get singled out. Gimli doesn't get singled out. Boromir doesn't get singled out, right? Bill the Pony doesn't get singled out. Um, Gandalf and Aragorn are walking in front. Um, notice that Aragorn, um, we're told, we're given a little bit more information about how he's helping, right? Aragorn knows this land even in the dark. Gandalf does not necessarily know this land even in the dark, right? Aragorn seems to be more familiar, I'm taking from that sentence, that Aragorn is more familiar with the country than Gandalf is, right? This, of course, would also fit with what we saw in The Hobbit when Gandalf was not 100% confident he could find Rivendell, right? Um, But, um... Uh, but yeah, Aragorn knows where he's going, right? But Gandalf is walking in front. And I can't help but um, I can't help but contrast this with that scene, which is kind of fun, but doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Again, here's me complaining about the movies again. Um, uh, I've been I've been making uh, I've been, I've uh, created a TikTok account in the last few weeks, and I've been answering a bunch of Tolkien questions over in TikTok, which is a lot of fun, actually. Uh, it's a really cool mechanism for Q&A, actually. One of my favorites of all that I've found. Um, and um, I keep getting asked a whole bunch of movie questions over there. Uh, and this actually came up. And not, I didn't do a video on it, but it's, it came up in one of the comments. Um, but the scene in the film when... You know, the whole, like, is Mordor left or right Gandalf, right? And then Gandalf, like, whispers to him, you know, which way to turn. Um, on the one hand, I, I feel like I can see what's going on there, right? Um, there's this emphasis. The film in that scene is establishing an emphasis that Frodo is... It, this is Frodo's quest, Right. So he's not just uh, following other people around this. You know, he's sort of officially in charge, but we see him leaning on Gandalf and Gandalf's kindly support of him. Right. Um, without, you know, calling him names or something like that. Um, you know, I, 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 I can kind of see the function that that scene plays in the film uh, and uh, and kind of appreciate it. But at the same time, there are a whole bunch of things one of my problems with the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies is that there are many things that work really well as part of the film. But as soon as you kind of step back and think about them, it's like, doesn't actually make much sense, right? And I don't just mean it's different from the books. That also happens, of course. Um, but even don't make sense. Like, here, like what, under these circumstances, if Aragorn and Gandalf have come along with you as guides, why is anyone putting Frodo in the position of pretending like he should be leading, like 
telling them which path to take, right? Um, obviously, there are other more qualified, like it's no detraction from Frodo to like follow the guidance of people who know the country roundabout, right? Uh, and unlike him, who's never been there before, it's just kind of odd, right? Um, uh, uh, but the more you think about it, but whatever. Anyway, the point is, we see something very different from that scene here, right? Um, Tolkien, of course, has heavily emphasized, Elrond has heavily emphasized Frodo's choice, Frodo's free will um, in setting out on the journey. But determining the best way to go, finding the path and knowing the land, um, he has been given companions in order to help him with this, right? And we can see explicitly... um, um, yeah, Darren's right. Of course, the film has preserved Frodo's line, I will take the ring, but I do not know the way, right? And despite the fact that he leads with, I do not know the way, they make him go in front and pick the path, right? It is true, Darren. I never even connected it with that line before. You kind of expect him to turn around and be like, didn't I tell you I didn't know the way? Right? Like, why are you people pressuring me this way? Um, but, um, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. My point here with this sentence, we're given this detail about Aragorn, which helps us to see in practical terms why Elrond, why Aragorn is in front, right? Why is Gandalf in front? Gandalf walked in front, and with him went Aragorn, who knew this land even in the dark. Okay, maybe Aragorn should go in front then, if he knows this land even in the dark, right? But Gandalf walked in front. Um, I just, it, it's interesting that we get that insistence from the book. The, 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 the tone that's set from the very beginning, Gandalf is in charge, right? Gandalf is in charge. Gandalf is the guide. Gandalf is the leader of this expedition. There's no questions about who's the leader of this expedition. Gandalf walked in front. That's it, Right. Aragorn, who knows the land around here better than he does, is with him, helping. Because that's where you want the person who knows the land even in the dark, right? But Aragorn is not in charge. And this, of course, is also important because Aragorn was in charge, right? From Bree to, well, not quite to Rivendell. Glorfindel was in charge once Glorfindel uh, came along, right? Um though he was rather gentle about it. Um, But anyway, yes, uh, I think it's... This establishes really clearly and really importantly. Um, Yeah, Aragorn might be leading them, and we're not allowed to forget that Aragorn is, as he will be called later, the the greatest traveler, you know, in this age of the world. Um, He's a useful chap to have around, as we shall be reminded again very soon. Um, But Gandalf is the one that's in charge. And we are, not only are we not allowed to forget that, but that tone is established very, very clearly. Now, other person who is, um, other person who is apparently useful to have around is Legolas. Why is he useful to have around? Because his eyes were keen. That's why. Now, I particularly cherish this clause because it tells us something about Legolas. And that's going to happen far less often than you might think, right? This is, of course, um, one of the... 
I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm not a big movie ranter. Like I don't, I'm not trying to just bash the Peter Jackson films. I have huge respect for Peter Jackson films. Um, so I'm sorry. I seem to be on a Peter Jackson movie complaining kick tonight. I, it's not my intention. Um, but, um, it is certainly an effect of the films that Legolas's position becomes kind of automatically inflated. Like Legolas's importance becomes automatically inflated in the mind, even of, of most readers, right? Who are like on the lookout for, who are kind of come into it with their framework um, influenced in a sense, right? Influenced uh, to, um, expect much <laughs> from Legolas, right? Um, Legolas is one of the most... Mm, no, I mean, this is why... Um, this is why Tolkien says at one point that Legolas accomplished least of any of the members of the company. Right. Um, Legolas is really one of the most minor characters that we get in the company, in the text itself. Um, so it's important. That's one of the reasons I spent so much time paying attention to his white-handled knife, right? Because um, just the fact that we get that kind of a detail is interesting. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. We will get some things from him. He will play some roles. Uh, but... Um, they're not all that very many. Um, and so it's interesting to see what we get, especially since, keep in mind, um, this is the first time we've ever, we've met elves before. I mean, if you've read the Silmarillion, you know more, but that's confusing. Um, in The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, we've encountered elves, Right. But elves have always been in that position. Elves have always been um, creatures that you meet, right? Like Gildor, um, like Goadriel will be. That's kind of more typical, right? I mean, think of the encounters with elves uh, in The Hobbit, right? The idea of traveling with one, like becoming day-to-day -day friends with an elf, like being an elf friend and being the friend of an elf, not exactly the same thing, are they? Um, Legolas is the first elf we've spent a prolonged amount of time with in the narrative ever in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings so far. Um, so just having an elf about the place is kind of interesting. Um, and what do we... So what does Tolkien emphasize about him, right? What are we told about the elf? I mean, what's it like hanging out with an elf, right? Um, what are the things that the narrators notice about Legolas? Well, here's one thing, right? Um, uh, Legolas's eyes are keen. There you go. He has a white-handled knife, and now his eyes are keen. So there we go. We're um, uh, building our Legolas repertoire, right? Our, uh, our, our 
pool of knowledge about Legolas. And he's strange, Darren. Yes, you're right. And he's strange. I'd almost forgotten that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, Dan was remembering his strangeness as well. Yep, yep. Um, do we do we know that he's good with a bow? We know he has a bow. I'm, I mean, I mean, I, I, we can assume he's probably decent with it, right? Um, we've not seen any evidence yet, though. Um, we might, we might, perhaps safely assume he's a decent shot, but uh, but I don't think we know that yet. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but hang on. Uh, so, well, yo, whoa, we're not there yet. We haven't seen that yet. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to keep track of what we see of Legolas, what we've seen of Legolas so far. Um, but um, somebody was pointing out. Sorry, and I've lost it. Who that was? Somebody was pointing out that the word "keen" is a really interesting one, and I agree, it is an interesting one. Um, keen, his eyes are keen. Clearly, the surface meaning of that is that he has sharp eyes. Eyes are he sees real well, right? Um, presumably, even in the dark, can see better than the rest of them, since they're traveling in the dark. And Aragorn knows this land even in the dark. Um, the keenness of Legolas's eyes would be not much use in the dark. But he, since he's been put in the rear explicitly because of his eyesight. Presumably, it also functions better in the dark uh, than I, I suppose the hobbits do. Um, but um, yeah, Kurtzimus, yes, it was you. Um, it does mean more than just eyesight. Um, um, you think of keen eyes, which often means it tells you something about how they look as well as how they see. If you, if you see what I mean, um, uh, that he. Now, again, clearly the primary meaning here is that he has good vision, right? Um, but a keenness in the eyes does often sort of tell us something. Um, yeah, sharpness, not just of vision, but in a sense of mind as well. Um, yes, yes, um, yes. Sharp. It, it does mean literally sharp. As Kendall points out, his sword was long, his lance was keen. Um, uh, clearly, that means sharp, right? Um, so one of the one of the simple definitions, one of the one of the substitutions for it, is sharp. Um, but it does seem to suggest another kind of. In some cases, it suggests another kind of sharpness as well. Um, the fact that we're told that his eyes are keen doesn't just tell us that he has excellent sight. I think it that primarily does. But it, I, I agree that it also does at least imply or invite us to imagine there is something else, sharpness of mind, of will, behind his eyes. When people's eyes are described that way, it often means that as well. Um, but, um, but anyway... Certainly, here that would only be an echo. Primarily, we're talking about the sharpness of his vision. Um, I'm also assuming he's not a complete wimp, right? I mean, he's the rear guard, right? Um, 
So uh, if his eyes, if he had really good vision, but, you know, couldn't, could barely defend himself at all, you'd still probably not put him as the rear guard, right? Maybe, maybe have somebody who is, uh, who's, vision might not be quite so good, but um, uh, will be better, uh, you, whom you'd rather have back there if uh, if uh, uh, we get attacked. Um, like Boromir, Jackie, yeah, would be a very natural rear guard. But Legolas is the rear guard. And Boromir, not mentioned, right? Here's Boromir not playing a significant role in the party at all, right? Um I will also say rear guard is sort of a position of trust. Um, also, right? I mean, like his job, clearly the fact that his eyes are mentioned uh, shows that the, the primary job of the rear guard is to it's, basically it's like being on watch, right? Um, keeping an eye out to make sure that nothing is trailing them from behind. Um, this is going to be a factor later on, you'll remember, when uh, they're worried that they're being pursued. Uh, by something perhaps vaguely golem-shaped, right, after Moria. Um, uh, but anyway, keeping an eye out behind uh, to see if they're being followed, this is an important responsibility, and Legolas is apparently being entrusted with it by Gandalf, who is clearly in charge. Um, so that Gandalf trusts Legolas is no surprise, as we know that Gandalf has a good relationship with Legolas, uh, howsoever strange Legolas may be, Gandalf has a good relationship with Legolas and his people, right? Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but we don't know, but Boromir, not in the hierarchy here, has no job. And that's an interesting thing to see, right? Um, you know, should he, need he have one? Well, but it, again, it's um, just an interesting omission um, that we will see uh, we will see later on. And neither does Gimli. Yeah, well, I agree. Neither does Gimli. Um, Gimli's going to have a role, but really only when we get to Moria, right? Yeah, Dan, I agree. Boromir's job is not blowing his horn, and he has a uh, his his job performance is not real high so far, right? Um, yeah, yeah, he has one job, and he's not really doing it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, Connor is pointing out how. Um, in Gandalf's description of Gollum, he says he became sharp-eyed and keen-eared for all that was hurtful. Uh, so we see sharp and keen being mentioned there. I would say kind of practically interchangeably, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, awesome. Um, I'm going to stop here. We have uh, more landscape description coming up. Right as we continue on the journey, um, we're going to shift a little bit from the broader point of view here, and we're going to be coming in. Uh, we're going to be narrowing in uh, on a new point of view in the next section. These kinds of modulations are really interesting to see in Tolkien's descriptive passages. Um, they are not nearly as sort of long and generic as people who don't pay very close attention to them often feel them to be. Um, but we'll look at that more closely next time. All right. All right. Um, 
<laughs> Thanks, everybody. It's, it's field trip time. Uh, trying to stick to my schedule here. Um, I need to. So as you can see, I'm wearing this silly brace. I got a minor injury to one of my fingers, and the doctor wants me to wear this ridiculously large brace. But I can't use a mouse at all with this stupid brace on, so I'm going to take it off. Okay. Um, uh, very good. And Valori's back. How are you this evening, Valori? I am back. I'm, I'm you took me a little surprise, surprise to that. Yeah, I took you by surprise. What finishing, uh, like a, finishing more or less on time? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, see, look at that. I can be taught. Uh, so I guess I'll meet you guys there at the bus stop. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We'll 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 head over. We'll head over that way. I'm not going to last week cut, and I just like took uh, my milestone. To the prancing pony from here. I, it I was, did that that one. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, hang on. I'm getting. I'm. You're breaking up a little bit, Valerie, which is. Sorry, my internet is not the best. Really. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll make do here. Okay. So yes, we are in this. Ruin here in Tham Lumran. Um, so, Valori, we were deciding last time that this looks like the political center of. The, so we had, you know, we were deciding originally with the very first Elvish ruins we were looking at in the angle. We were deciding that this was um, the place where the Noldor of Eregion moved after the fall of Eregion. Right, the like sort of more defensive positions that they built in the general area of Rivendell, right, which was a stronghold. Um, and we saw the what, what was it down this place down here, whatever it's called, uh, Tornhad, right down um, Tornhad and uh, Thelgarth down in the in the at the tip of the angle. Right, that big huge yeah. fortress down at the tip of the angle is probably you know, so and we can see the the smaller fortress up in the north, right just south of the bridge, right? And then we saw the large fortress down at the tip, and those seem to be guarding the approaches into the angle, right? The one from across the bridge, the one from from the river landings. Down yeah, at the yeah. bottom of I, the angle. I love those lanterns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um but this, which is kind of in the middle of it. And we were noticing that this place is nothing like as well defended. It's it's large, but it's not really fortified. Um, I mean, it is on this like not very accessible, uh, you know, spit of land. It's 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 defensible if things were overrun, but it doesn't look like it's primarily a defensive fortification. So we decided that this was probably like a sort of palace slash, um, you know, kind of administrative center of. <laughs> the uh elves who lived in this area there in the there in the late um second age after the war in Eriador. Um the large and still in charge. Exactly. That was the that was the theory. So um we're gonna go are are we ready? Did, did you make it? I think so. Yeah I'm right here. Yes you're here. Okay there you go. Um, so we were going to head back. We, when we came across here, we came by way of, uh, you know, we came up from the Southwest from the tip of the angle and we rode through the, 
tragically destroyed little hobbit village down there. Yeah, that was gruesome. Yeah, it was pretty gruesome. Um, Though we decided that the hobbits had evacuated. Um, we not that like not necessarily that no hobbits were harmed in the sacking of that village, but that the village had been destroyed after it was abandoned first and then destroyed. And we decided this because there was no furniture left over. Like there, if uh, you know orcs and wargs had come upon them and destroyed them in their homes and and sacked the village, we would have expected to see. Um, like broken furniture and you know decorations and things like that. Um, no, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Also, so we the can... skeletons were much too big to be hobbit skeletons. Exactly. We did not see what looked like a lot of hobbit bones, though bones aplenty there were. Um, so we wow. deemed that, for reasons unknown to us, the um, this hobbit village was abandoned and then. Um, inhabited and sacked by the wargs. But there was this other branch here which I skipped because I was headed up for the milestone. And then we found ourselves in that ruin and discussed it the next time. So we never went down here. So I just wanted to explore this other branch and look, I'm seeing there is something up here. So I'm glad we came back to check yeah. and see. This looks like a little, roof cottage. Yeah, a little homestead here. Not a village necessarily. It looks like a just a house or a complex. Fernbrake Cot. What are those, chickens? Oh, yeah, we got chickens running all over the place. Oh, those are the, yeah, they got, oh, yeah, they, they look like the wild grouse that, that run around all around here, though. I thought that was, a, I thought it was a player, and I tried to follow it and help it, but it, uh, other obviously did not need my help. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, I'm, I have a quest dialogue here. So here it is, Fernbrake Cot, home to my friends Maddock and Glennis and their son Bran. The staghorns showed me much kindness while I ventured in this land, and I will miss them when I leave. Huh. Interesting. Okay, so we've got fruit trees. Yeah. We've got lots of wood. I mean, yeah, this really, this is an isolated homestead with a bird bath. How thoughtful. Aw. And the architecture suggests human. Um, Strawberries. Thatched roof gray stone very breland looking yeah the stone is not um there's nothing um you know there aren't sharp lines right you see the rounded curves and everything like it's a it's a it's a very much a kind of a home built thing it's not really Like we see a lot of villages whose houses all have the same style and shape, right? Um, mm-hmm. It does look a little bit like Siridan's cabin in yeah, Catriona. I, I agree. Yeah. So let's see. What what is he? Oh, we can go like in. Here? Yeah, we can go in. Okay, okay. It's dark in here. Boy, you need to light. Oh, they're all dark. Lamps or something. This is very dark. Um, it's not like they're reading books. They go outside to do that. I suppose. Fishing net? That's a big fishing net. Okay, they've got a whole bunch of... Trawl head? A fishing net. Oh, on the wall. Wow, that is a big fishing net. Wow, yeah. that, that's a flex. What, the troll head? And the net. They're both rather impressive. Oh, yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, so, the... 
residents. Definitely human. Just seems to be like a human couple here minding their own business. Yep. She's wearing a leather cap and what looks like a sort of uh, like plaid dress. He's yeah. wearing... Ah, look, he's got one of those uh, talismans on his belt. Oh, yep, yep. So he's a woodsman. Yep, Glenis and Maddox are their names. Maddox Stacks. This is Maddox yeah. you're looking at. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, he's got one of those talismans on his belt, just like the folks on the other side of the mountains did. Yeah. That's definitely interesting. Definitely Same thing with the plaid. Yeah. Dag's yeah. horn, last name. Their dress doesn't look exactly like the... Uh, yeah, she's got one, too. Dangling from a string. It's a little harder to see because it's in her lap, but it's there. Yep. Apparently and there's a bo- sun brand lying around here somewhere. Right, and then, you know, she's got that um, little wooden sigil thing on her forehead, which looks a little bit odd, and which is just like... Um, her husband's he's got a similar one at his throat. Huh. Family crest? Maybe. Seem a little bit strange to have a a crest. These don't seem like a family crest kind of family, but uh maybe. Um Well, we don't know this culture. Crests might not be as exclusive as they are in others. Right. Maybe, Maybe it's just not. a way that people recognize you without words. Maybe not. What is this? The bedroom over here? Yeah. Okay. It's the bedroom over here. Sorry. Yep. Don't, don't mean to, you know. There's stairs going down too. Oh, are there really? Uh huh. Are they? They're they're go downable stairs. Look at this. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Look, an enterable basement. Yeah. Uh, I got seepage. Oh yeah, boy. I got some problems down here. I got a wet basement. Yeah. Oh, it's hard. Yeah. I got a. I'm a Virginia native. I'm well familiar with wet basements. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, in Delaware, the water table was so high you couldn't even have a basement. Nobody I'm surprised Virginia houses aren't all on stilts, frankly. Yeah, we just had crawl spaces in Delaware. Nobody had a walk-in basement. That was crazy. Because the water table's like two feet below the ground. <laughs> oh, man, crawl spaces. Really high on my list of things I don't miss about living in Del- uh, not you know fr- from living in Delaware. Got to tell you, that sounds like the time I got trapped in them. Oh man, yeah, and you have to go down there to like change your air filters and stuff, and there's like yeah. black widow spiders in there and everything. It's all yep, horrible. Yep, yep. Brown recluses, all the poisonous spiders. Really nasty. Oh, anyway, granted, it's the only one that's poisonous this part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most okay. Of them are wolf spiders, which look scary. Yes. Yes. Um, Can you go up the ladder, or is it just... Nope, ladder's just to look at at this point. Ladder's just to look at. Okay, so just nice little house. So they have a quest line, of course, of some kind, but it's in, they seem to be displaced persons in some yep. sense. Tied well, to cultures that we've seen. Them, yeah, our, our quest is to bid them goodbye because the elf is leaving. The, the, the elf, elf gave is... me the quest, Ravid, oh. Ravidrom. Um, I oh. didn't see him. He was outside the hut. Oh, but, I see. Um, oh, he's standing he's out there? Still, yeah, he is. I don't know if you can see him, though, because I, I took the quest line. Oh, I, I see. Thought I, might, I took some quests today to play catch-up because I thought I might learn something. Right, right. Okay. He should be right here, but I don't know if you see him. Right. And um, 
No, I don't. So, yeah, so his, I thought his, I might have I missed think, him because there were a lot of people. So I thought yeah. I might have just missed him I in the crowd. If he's leaving the region or if he's leaving for the... Leaving oh, for the for Havens, Lenore. yeah. Yeah, for the yeah. Havens. I'm not sure which. Uh, but he is saying goodbye to all the human friends he made in the area around here. I and see. having I see. many wonderful, cheerful thoughts about the mortality of humans. Sure, sure, right. Like elves do. Of course, of course. I know, yeah, but I can't so... to you. I get it. So this looks like a sort of a, a homesteading couple, which seems to speak to the like independent spirit of the woodmen. These are the kind of people who seem to be living over in the Vale of Anduin before Bjorn, uh, Bjorn kind of pulled them together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the kinds of people that now they were living in communities too, not just in isolated homesteads necessarily like this. But again, the image that we get of those woodmen, I think they're the same, generally the same kind of woodmen that we see in the forest of Brethel and the children of Hurin. Like, you know, that Tolkien was seemed to be, I mean, it's parallel. Um, yeah, no, that makes sense. And, uh, um, there, I think, you know, we can see some isolated homesteads and things like that. So, so yeah, this is a really, like, cool little self-contained, self-sustaining um, little place. I wonder what this is. this a, 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 like a smoke shed, do you think? Smoke shed or an outhouse, but I, this looks like wood chips, so that would make it a, a, if they're green wood chips, that would be a smokehouse. Oh, yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Probably a smokehouse there. Hmm? It is fall. That's when you smoke your meat for the winter. Right, right. Oh, they even have nice oysters growing on this uh, trunk over here. They got some nice oyster mushrooms. Oh, there you go. Is that a plow? I think that is a plow. Isn't this a plow? Uh, yeah. Looks like the the handle looks like a looks like a plow. I think the metal part's not there. Yeah, which you wouldn't leave it on because it could rust, right? Yeah, it'd get ru- yeah, it'd get rusty. Yeah, you take it off when you're not using it, presumably. Yeah, planting um, season's probably well over unless we're planting stuff for spring. Right, right. Yeah. Interesting. No, this is cool. Okay, all right. So there was something here, but um, not all that very much here. Let's see if we can get to the next stop. There's no other. Uh, there's no other milestones or um, uh, stable masters, but let's head up the road and see if we can find the next thing. We probably won't be able to uh, we won't be able to explore it tonight. It's running out of time, but let's see if we yeah. can find the next thing, and then we'll know what we're looking for next time. Sure. I think we'll, we'll just we'll have to start back at Tom Lumran again next time. But let's head back up the hill to Tom Lumran. Of course, needless to say, when we were talking about the spies of Sauron and stuff, I couldn't help but have like a Lotro picture in my head, right? Of like, you know, the landscape where you can spot the Krabine flying around and being like, oh, look, spies of the enemy. Um, yeah, and, and birds are like that. If you, if you know, if you're there when they hatch, if they hear your voice, if they give you food, they pretty much think they're your mo- that you're their mommy. Right. So that them being in Sauron's service without much incentive makes perfect sense right and of course it's not like Sauron is raising them personally you know no. like he doesn't 
He doesn't have to be, we don't have to imagine Sauron going down to, you know, feed worms to the little chicks or something like that, right? I mean, that's uh, not really the image. brought some mealworms. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That is an attractive image, JJ, of Sauron chewing up foul meats to regurgitate into their mouths. Um, I mean, my my ducks like dried mealworms. That's that's and frozen peas. That's that's kind sure. of their favorite food in the world. There you go, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he he'd have shredded lettuce probably. Sure, but evil shredded lettuce. Evil lettuce. Shredded evil lettuce. Clearly, cabbage. Cabbage yeah. is evil lettuce. Yeah. Oh. Uh. Oh, uh. Oh. Uh. We've got a little ruin, a little ruinous action here. A dread gazebo. Oh, whoa! Oh, look, it's Where? an Angmarim hanging out. Yeah. Hang on, is this an old yes. Rudaran gazebo? This is we 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 were here in the epic quest, right? We're getting back oh, into yeah. the. the yeah. We're back at the old troll shows. We're back yep. at the old troll shows. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Every right. time I think I get out, they pull me back in. Okay, so that next place that I was headed up to was Echad Kandalath. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I thought I recognized this ruined gazebo with the Angmarim lurking around. Yep, I said They're level Kandalath. 50? Yeah, level 50, that's what I remembered. Okay, uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I stumbled on this guy by accident a couple of times. Yes, that which, which was uncomfortable on some occasions. Okay, so with that, we've crossed, with Tom Lumeran then, we've crossed back into the normal troll shots and we've been up here. Mm-hmm. The, that route south from Echad Kandaleth, down across the river, and then down into Oregion, that was there before, wasn't it? I think so. I, I'm a little fuzzy on what was accessible and what wasn't. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was there before. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, the road that comes down by Gwingris, by like right next to it comes out right next to Gwingris. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. one that has the, the, the old ruins in the one in recess by the river. Yeah, yeah. Down in that area where you find Gollum and stuff. Um oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Great. Okay. Cool. So hey, actually, so I'm glad we ventured up the road because it turns out we're done. It turns out we're done with the angle. Uh, wow. There we go. So uh, that means, so we'll, we'll stop now, but that means that next time we're going to head off to the Undershire. So um, where should we, where should we, where should we set off from? So let's say. Uh, Needle hole. From, Needle, uh, Needle from hole or Falathorn. Um, should we Maybe we start from the Brocken Borings and just go up from there, or no, from it's, no, it's, from, it's from from Needlehole. It's out in the other direction. Yeah, it's got to be Needlehole. So. Okay. You can get there okay. from Oatbarton, Needlehole, and Palathorn are the three road paths into it. Okay. Oh, I'm already seeing some fun names. I can't wait. <laughs> okay. I'm not even gonna click on the map yet. Okay. So tell Very you what. Wise. So let's let's head to 
well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have my uh, milestones set up. So why don't we just, why don't we just stable master it um, from Bree to like Mikkel Delving and head up from there? Or maybe we can stable master to Needle Hole from Mikkel Delving. Sure, maybe, and you know, we went through the Shire so fast, like maybe we'll just, you know, there's, if we see anything interesting on the way, we'll, we could duck. Yeah. We'll need to reacquire the Shire travel points because they did the same thing with overhauling the Aha. Okay. So tell you what, let's just ride from Brie next time. Let's, we'll, 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 let's do this proper. Let's do this yeah. proper. Yeah, no, no, sense, uh, no sense uh, uh, taking shortcuts here. So let's just ride from Brie because we're going to need to get the travel points. Uh, exactly. Yeah, road trip. That's right, Drowsnake. Shire road trip next time. We'll road trip through Ooh. the Shire um, and get up towards the Yonder Shire next time. So that's that will definitely be the plan. Okay. And there's a lot more swift travels in the Shire from, say, Stock to Mickle Delving, et cetera. It's so oh, awesome. Right, right. Excellent, okay. excellent. Great. So we'll, and we can we can reacquire the stable masters and stuff as we go. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Um, excellent. Very good. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. I will be, we will be back next week. Um, I should be, uh, I think... So far as I know, crossing my fingers, um, I should we should be good for Tuesday nights all the way through until like July at some point. So um, even Mythmoot week, I'll be here. So we'll see. I'll, t- I'll let you know if th- there might be something um, that comes up in the meantime. But for now, um, I, we should be around. So thanks, everybody, for joining us, as always. Uh, great to see folks. Uh, fun discussion and exploration this evening and we'll see you guys next week bye now